Well, tonight we are not going to talk about psychology. When we talk about stress, we think it's a psychological phenomenon. Tonight we're going to deal with stress from a different perspective. We're going to deal with it from the perspective of the Holy Word of God. And actually, the presentation tonight is somewhat a continuation of the lecture that we had last Wednesday night, where we dealt with family values from a unique, perhaps different perspective than you've heard before. But I consider that there is a very close relationship between the family and the Sabbath. We noticed that in our study last time. God made the family last thing, the sixth day. And then the first day that they lived on this earth, the first full day, they rested with the Lord. And that's the pattern that God has established for the family. I'd like to invite you tonight to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and I would like to start reading at verse 16, Luke 4, 16. Basically, this is speaking about the inauguration or the beginning of the ministry of Jesus after his baptism. This is the first event after he went to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is actually when he begins his public ministry. And interestingly enough, the Lord Jesus began his public ministry on the Sabbath. But he not only began his public ministry on the Sabbath, but he also expressed in the synagogue that Sabbath what his ministry was for. In other words, the intention of his ministry. Now, let's notice Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. It says there, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, what's a custom? A custom is something that we do habitually, on a regular basis. It says, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. What day did Jesus customarily go to the synagogue, which was church in his day? He went customarily on the Sabbath. And then it says in verse 17, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You remember the Spirit of the Lord came at his baptism, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord." And then the Bible says that he closed the book, gave it to the attendant, and sat down, and all of the eyes of those present were upon him. Now I want you to notice that Jesus begins his public ministry on Sabbath in the synagogue. And he presents in his message what he intends to do during his ministry. During his ministry, he's going to preach the gospel, which is the good news, to the poor. 
He is going to heal those who are brokenhearted. He is going to preach deliverance to those who are captives. He is going to open the eyes of the blind. And he's going to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, he not only begins his ministry on Sabbath, but he actually reveals what his agenda is going to be on the Sabbath. Now, interestingly enough, those elements that we just read in Luke chapter 4 are the very things that Jesus did on the Sabbath to diverse people. He opened the eyes of the blind. He delivered those who were oppressed. He set free those who were bound. In other words, he not only announced what his ministry was going to be like on Sabbath, but he used the Sabbath to exemplify what he had said he was going to do during his ministry. Now let's notice several examples of this. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and verses 21 to 24. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21 to 24. Remember, Jesus has just given his agenda for his ministry. What he's going to do in his ministry, he's going to be the restorer. He's going to be the deliverer. He's going to be uh, one, the one who blesses everyone who is sick and oppressed of the devil. And now, right after this episode, we notice what we find in Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. You remember that that was one of the things that he was going to do, according to the prophecy of Isaiah? Verse 22, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now it continues saying, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Did Jesus release here a man on the Sabbath who was sorely oppressed by the devil, by unclean spirits? Yes, he's fulfilling what he announced on Sabbath. He's giving on Sabbath the meaning of his ministry. Now let's go to Mark chapter 3. We already studied this last time, but let's go back there and take another look at this and review quickly what we studied. And I want to read a quotation from the Code of Jewish Law, which I didn't read last time. Chapter 3 and verse 1, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand, a chronic case. No need to heal him on Sabbath. He wouldn't have died if Jesus had waited till sundown. Verse 2, and they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Then he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. He's going to make a case out of this, isn't he? He's going to reveal it before everybody present. He's not doing anything uh, in the dark, nothing in secret. He's doing it in public. And then it says in verse 4, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do evil, to save life or to kill. Of course, he knows that they're plotting to do what? To kill him. But they kept silent. Incidentally, let me just read you here a quotation from this book, Code of Jewish Law. I'll read you one of the laws that they had back then, which is very ironic. This is found in this book, Code of Jewish Law, page 97. Here's the rule of the rabbis. 
It is forbidden to catch any living thing on the Sabbath, even a flea. But if an insect stings a person, it may be removed and thrown off. But one is not allowed to kill it, because it is forbidden to kill on the Sabbath anything that possesses life. That's what their laws, their laws based on tradition, said. Now notice what it says, once again, in Mark chapter 3, irony of ironies about what they were plotting to do on the Sabbath. Verse 5, So when he had looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. So let me ask you, what is the Sabbath a sign of? Of being released from oppression by evil spirits. It is a sign of being what? Of being restored. Did Jesus have to recreate that man's hand? He most certainly did. It's a sign of recreation. And then notice verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Wrong to heal on Sabbath. Wrong to restore and recreate a hand. But certainly nothing wrong with planning to kill the author of life, the creator of life. Here are these who, according to their law, couldn't even kill a flea, and they're planning to create to kill Jesus Christ, the Creator. Their laws, their traditions had obliterated the commandment of God that says, Thou shalt not kill. Now go with me to Luke chapter 14 and verses 1 to 6, another one of these healing episodes of Jesus. Chapter 14 of Luke and verse 1. Now it happened. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisee, boy, this is going to be right in the wolf's mouth, isn't it? Because it's in the home of a Pharisee, and Jesus is going to make a point. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, that's uh, an excessive accumulation of water in the tissues that causes great pain. Verse 3, And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Let me ask you, how would you answer that question? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You show me one verse in the Bible where it says that you can't heal on Sabbath. Where did the Pharisees get the idea that it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath? From the Bible? No, from tradition. So is the Sabbath of the Pharisees the Sabbath of Jesus? No, it's their Sabbath. It is a twisted, contorted Sabbath. It is a counterfeit Sabbath. And that's why Christians don't want anything to do with the Sabbath, because they look at the Sabbath through the eyes of the Pharisees. But you have to look at the Sabbath through the eyes of Jesus. Not through the eyes of the Pharisees. You have to see what the Sabbath means in the eyes of our Lord. And so it continues saying in verse 4, but they kept silent. Of course they had to keep silent. If they said, yes, you can heal on Sabbath, they would have been admitting that their laws were wrong. 
If they had said no, the people would say, man, these guys are merciless. They won't even allow anybody to heal somebody and make him feel better on Sabbath. So they kept silent. Verse 5, then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? What is Jesus telling these fellows? What he's saying is that for you, dear Pharisees and scribes, an animal is more important than a person. In other words, he's saying, for you folks, the comfort of an animal who is suffering on Sabbath because he fell in the pit is more important than the suffering of a person on the Sabbath. You see, their laws had totally turned things upside down, had totally changed things. The purpose of the Sabbath is for the good of man. And they have crea had created a Sabbath that was for the evil of man. Now notice what it says just across the page from there. Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. Let me ask you, after Jesus healed this man with the dropsy, how do you suppose he looked at the Sabbath? Ha! <laughs> the day of my restoration. The day of my deliverance from disease. In other words, the Sabbath was a sign of God's power to satisfy our needs and to heal us. Now notice chapter 13 of Luke and starting with verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Was she deathly ill? Could Jesus have waited till sundown? Most certainly so. But he wants to make a point. And so she had had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could not in any way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Very interesting word that Jesus uses. He doesn't say you are healed from your infirmity. He says you are loosed. Did Jesus proclaim in Nazareth that he was going to loose those who were bound? Most certainly yes. And he's showing the meaning of his ministry through the Sabbath. So he says, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and what? Glorified God. How do you suppose this woman looked at the Sabbath after this? Ha! It was the day that Jesus, the Messiah, loosed me, delivered me from my illness. The Sabbath would have meant that she had been redeemed. It was a sign of her redemption and her deliverance from disease. Notice verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. But you see, healing is the work of God, not the work of man. You see, it is proper to do spiritual things on the Sabbath to alleviate pain and disease and suffering is what Jesus is saying. There's no law against that. And so he says there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. Isn't that interesting? They would rather have this woman bound on the Sabbath than loosed. And then in verse 15, Jesus directs his remarks direct, uh, to this individual. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox 
or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has what? Oh, why was she bound? Because Satan had bound her. So when Jesus unbound her, he was gaining the victory over whom? Over Satan. So whom Satan had bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed. Notice, there's the word again. Be loosed from his bond on the Sabbath day. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, on one side you have a daughter of Abraham, and on the other side you have mere animals. On one side you have a woman who's been suffering for 18 years, on the other side you have an animal that has only suffered one day of thirst. On one hand you have a woman who has been bound by Satan, on the other hand you have an animal that has been bound by human beings. And yet for you, an animal is more important than a person. Do you remember that when we studied about the law of God, we said that the law of God is a law of relationships, a law to benefit people? The law by itself, trying to keep the law by itself without taking reference to people is a curse because it becomes a method for us to earn salvation, for have, to have all eyes placed on us. We didn't realize that the laws that God has given are for the good of people. They're not for our own self-glorification. Now let's go to John chapter 5. Another very, very interesting healing of Jesus. John chapter 5. And let's start reading at verse 1. And we can't go through this whole chapter. There's a tremendous message in the whole chapter, but we can only uh, highlight certain parts. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And now notice this. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well, whatever disease he had. Do you think that was an angel of God? Oh yeah? I don't. What's this idea? That whoever jumps in first is going to be healed, whereas all the rest of them are going to be left sick. So in other words, healing is for the swiftest. That doesn't fit with the theology that Jesus taught. If this did happen, it was not an angel of the Lord. Because God would not have all those people sick and only heal those who could jump into the water first. So you can imagine the scene. There's all these ill, sick people. And Jesus chooses the most pathetic case. Notice verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Would he have died if Jesus had waited till sundown? Of course not. Once again, it's a chronic case. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And of course he says, yes, but I can't jump into the pool fast enough. What a capricious God. A God that would only heal those who jump in first. 
And incidentally, it does not say that this was an angel of God. This is a tradition that they had. It simply says an angel. And we know that there are more than good angels in Scripture. And so Jesus says to this man in verse 8, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Ooh, bad counsel. Verse 9, And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. In other words, you, have, you, you can walk home. What they're really saying is it's not lawful for Jesus to have healed you on the Sabbath. But now they're finding fault with the fact that Jesus said, take your bed. And so this man is carrying his bed. They say, you should have left your bed where it was and come back for it after sundown. Yeah, right, as if it was still going to be there after sundown. Their laws had totally destroyed and annihilated the meaning of the Sabbath. This was not the Sabbath of Jesus. This was the Sabbath of the Jews. I'll tell you what, I don't want anything to do with the Sabbath of the rabbis. But I'll tell you something else. I do want to keep the Sabbath of the Lord. Now notice what, it, what uh, happens in this story in verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. What day did they seek to kill him? On the Sabbath, have mercy. Here he heals a man who's been paralyzed on the Sabbath, and they say, you shouldn't have healed him. But at the same time, they're plotting to kill somebody. What's worse, healing somebody or killing somebody? See the ridiculous extremes to, what the, to, to the place their laws took them. Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, that is according to them, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now let's go to our last healing episode in John chapter 9. This is a very interesting one. Talk about rubbing it in. John chapter 9 and verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He certainly would have died if Jesus had waited till sundown. <laughs> of course not. He'd been blind since he, since he was born. So waiting till sundown wouldn't have made any difference. Once again, it's a chronic case. Jesus is making a point. Verse 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. In other words, this man was born for this special moment. Isn't that awesome? That this man had been born for this special moment when he met Jesus, so that God would be glorified. And then notice what Jesus does in verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat. Sin number one. You see, spitting was forbidden on the Sabbath. You know why? Because it was considered irrigation. I'm serious. I'm not, I kid you not. I can read you from the call of Jewish law. Because of the water, things would grow faster. And so spitting was irrigating. So that was sin number one. Then it says, he spat on the ground and made clay. Ooh, 
That's the sin of, of needing, which was forbidden also according to Jewish law. Needing, because he made clay. And then, as if that's not enough, could Jesus just have said, see, man, could he? Oh, yeah, but he's rubbing it in. And it comes sin number three. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And if that isn't uh, bad enough, to add insult to injury, it says, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Wash on the Sabbath, have mercy. What a sin. Sin after sin after sin. According to their ridiculous restrictive rules. None of these things mentioned as rules and regulations of the Sabbath in the Bible. Now notice verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Verse 16. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Was he keeping the Sabbath? Was he keeping the Bible Sabbath? Yes. Which Sabbath did he not keep? Theirs. The Sabbath of the Pharisees. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. And of course, at the end of this story, Jesus basically says, this man who was blind now sees because he realizes that I'm the Messiah. But you who say you see are blind because you don't know me. Now, folks, all of these healing miracles of Jesus on the Sabbath had one purpose. And that was to show that Jesus had come in his ministry to do what he had predicted in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. He had come to deliver the captives. He had come to heal the sick. He had come to bless the poor, to comfort the brokenhearted, to loose those who were oppressed. In other words, the Sabbath is a sign of what Jesus came to do. And by the way, Jesus did this for a period of three and a half years. He went about doing good and working out man's salvation. By the way, do you know that the Sabbath, as Jesus teaches it in these miracles, is the same Sabbath that we find in the Old Testament? Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Most people only realize that the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus chapter 20, but there's also another giving of the Ten Commandments, and I want you to notice the motivation for keeping uh, the Fourth Commandment, the Sabbath Commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, and starting with verse 12, it says there, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your manservant and your maidservant may rest as well as you. And now notice the motivation. In Exodus 20, we're going to notice that the motivation for keeping the Sabbath is because God created the world in six days and rested the seventh. But here the motivation clause is different. Verse 15, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Did they need to be unbound? Released? Yes. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So what was the Sabbath for Israel? It was a symbol of the delivering power of God from bondage. In every Sabbath that they kept, they would not only be remembering the Creator, but they would also be remembering their great deliverer from bondage. So Jesus worked for three and a half years on his agenda of saving man. And at the end of the three and a half years, the Bible tells us in John chapter 19, if you'll go with me there, John chapter 19 and verse 30, notice the words that Jesus uses. He's on the cross. These are his last words on the cross. It says there in verse 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up what? He gave up the spirit. Had Jesus finished the work of saving man? Yes. He had fulfilled what he had predicted in the fourth chapter of Luke in Nazareth. He had worked out man's salvation by living a perfect life, by delivering man, by blessing man. And now he dies on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, and he says, it is finished. Let me ask you, how much had man done to redeem and to deliver himself? Absolutely nothing. Jesus did it all. He was the one who healed, who restored, who redeemed. He was the one who lived a perfect life that he could give us in place of our imperfect life. He was the one who died so that I don't have to die. In other words, the total work of salvation during the three and a half years of which the Sabbath is a sign, Jesus worked for man. And then when he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus rests in the tomb on the Sabbath. Is that true? Yes. I want you to notice something interesting. The Lord Jesus works and then rests. He works for man. He restores man, he unbinds man, he delivers man, he redeems man, he does everything necessary for the salvation of man, says it is finished, and then he rests after performing the works of salvation. He rests in the tomb on the Sabbath day. Let me ask you, did Jesus rest alone? Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I don't want you to get distracted or lost now because we're going to make a tremendous parallel that we need to remember. Luke chapter 23 and verse 56. Notice, speaking about the ladies who were coming to embalm the body of Jesus. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Let me ask you, on that day were the disciples also resting as good Jews? Yes. And so interestingly enough, 
The Creator and the Redeemer is resting, and those that also had followed Him are resting with Him in what Jesus has done. Now let me explain that they didn't exactly understand the implications of what Jesus had done at this point. They should have. Notice Matthew chapter 16, if you'll go with me. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. This is six months before Jesus died, and I want you to notice that Jesus had tried to warn them that he was going to die, be buried, and resurrect the third day. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Did Jesus try and warn the disciples that he was going to resurrect the third day? Most certainly. Did they pay any attention to what he was saying? No. But it is interesting that when Jesus finishes his works of redemption, his works of blessing man, restoring man, unbinding man, saving man, he says it is finished and he rests in the tomb. And those that are his followers rest with him. Now I find it more than coincidental that when the Bible speaks about redemption, it really uses terminology which is elusive to creation. In other words, redemption from sin is really a new creation, spiritually speaking. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Speaking about the redemption that we have in Jesus, it's very interesting to notice the terminology here. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things have passed away Behold, all things have become new. Do you notice that here redemption is spoken of as if it was creation? As if it were creation? In other words, those who are in Christ Jesus, who benefit from what Jesus has done, they are a new creation in the sight of God. All, all, things, have, all things have passed away, and all things are made what? New. Notice also the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, and uh, we'll read chapter 2, and starting with verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 8. Let me ask you, how much did man do to redeem himself? How much? Nothing. How much did man have to work to save himself? Nothing. Who did all of the working? Jesus. And then when Jesus rests in the tomb... Those who came, he came to redeem rest with him in what, what, what he has done. Now notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and starting with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is salvation? A gift of God. Who did the working? Jesus did the working. And then it says in verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. So I want you to notice, Jesus works out our salvation, He rests. Those He came to save, rest with Him. Which day? 
on the Sabbath. So Jesus works and then rests, whereas we rest in what he has done and then we work. Notice what it says in verse 10. Notice the creation terminology. For we are his workmanship. Created, this is speaking of redemption, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is there such a thing as Christians needing to perform good works? Yes or no? Yes. But when do they perform the good works? Do they perform the good works in order to be saved? Or do they perform the good works because they have been saved? Because they have been saved. So it's very interesting that Jesus works three and a half years during his ministry. On the Sabbath, he rests from his work. And the disciples, of course, they rest with Jesus. And then Jesus sends them off to work. Now we'll notice this even clearer as we go uh, back to Genesis. But before we go there, actually let's go there now because of the shortness of time. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's notice what happened at creation because it's very similar to what happened at redemption. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who was this person who created the heavens and the earth? It was Jesus. No doubt about it. In John 1, 1 to 3, which we've looked at, at before, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him. In other words, the creator of Genesis was whom? Was Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus created this magnificent world before man even was around. How much of the work of creation did man do? Not even this much? Not a little bit? Couldn't man uh, claim just a little bit of the credit? You know, what's interesting, man didn't see God create anything. Of course, man didn't exist when God created everything. And even when God created the woman, he put man to sleep, so man didn't even see the creation of the woman. In other words, man did not cooperate with God, with Jesus. Man didn't do any of the work with God. Man didn't work to be created. Jesus worked. And then what did Jesus do? He rested. Let's notice that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Genesis 1 verse 31. This creator is Jesus. It says there in verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. When did Jesus finish the creation of the world? The sixth day. And then what did he do on the seventh day? Let's notice verse 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Have we noticed that word before, finished? What did Jesus do when he finished his works of redemption? He said, it is finished. Now he performs his work of creation according to Genesis. And when he has performed the works of creation, it says that he what? He finished. What did Jesus do after he finished working for the salvation of man in the Gospels? He rested in the tomb on the Sabbath. And what did his followers do? They rested with him 
Let me ask you at creation, after Jesus had created the world and everything that is in it, to give it as a gift to man, did Jesus give us salvation free? The work that he had done, does he give it to us free? Yes. The creation, all these beautiful things that God, that God made, that Jesus made, did he give it them to Adam and Eve free? Yes, as a gift. Notice what God did, what Jesus did after he finished his work of creation. Notice chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, of Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Is that exactly what Jesus did in redemption? Did he rest on the Sabbath from his works of redemption? Does he give his redemption as a free gift to man? Did he work out man's salvation? Did man help him? No, not by works, by grace. We are his workmanship, but because he did it, not because we did it. So the Sabbath is not only a sign of creation, it is also a sign of redemption. Two reasons to keep the Sabbath. The Creator rested, and the Creator was Jesus, and so the Redeemer rests on the same day in the sepulcher. And so it says, He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. Who worked? Who created and made? God did. Did God rest by Himself? Do you remember we read from the Gospel of Mark that the Lord Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So who else rested with Jesus at creation? Man did, just like in redemption. I want you to catch a very important point here. This is beautiful. Jesus did all of the working at creation. Man did nothing. Create himself. Jesus finished his work of creation. Jesus rested on the Sabbath from his work of creation. And he invited man to rest from the works of creation with him. Now have you noticed that Jesus works and then he rests? Whereas man rests and then he works? At creation? You say, how's that? You know the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment says, six days you shall labor and what? And do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. But man's first day on planet earth was a day of what? Of rest and enjoyment in what Jesus had made. Talk about a rest from stress. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is, listen, I made you. Do you think I'm going to take care of you if I made you? I gave you all of this beautiful world. Is there any reason why you should feel that you're not going to be provided for? Is there any reason to be stressed out? No. Because if God created us, he's going to sustain us. And the same goes true for redemption. Jesus says, don't be filled with guilt and with stress over that guilt, over salvation. Over all of these things, 
Don't be stressed out. I want your salvation. And it's free. I give it to you as a gift. I'll tell you folks, I can go home jumping for joy knowing that I have been redeemed. And that it's been free. Then I don't have to pay for it because Jesus worked for it. The only thing he asked is like at creation, he rested and he invited Adam and Eve to rest with him to remember where all of this came from and to honor and glorify God, Jesus, for what he has done. He says in redemption from now on, I want you to do what I did. I want you to rest as I rested in the tomb, not to remember me so much as your creator, although that's important, but so that you remember me as your what? As your redeemer. Two reasons for keeping the Sabbath. See, the problem with the Pharisees is the Pharisees had, com- had converted a day of relief from stress into a day of stress. Imagine, now, did I walk one step further than I'm supposed to today? Oh, I can't look in the mirror because I might pluck a, a hair. Oh, you know, I can't, I, I really can't uh, put anything over my head today to protect me from the sun because that would be equivalent to making a tent. Oops, I got a flea here on my coat. I can't kill it. I just can brush it off. 1,521 traditional rules added to the Sabbath. It was a day of stress. And Jesus came to deliver man from the day of stress and to make it a day of rest. A day of fellowship with him. A day of joy. A day to remember the deliverer, the healer, the redeemer, the restorer. Trouble is, Christians today, they only see the Sabbath in the light of the Pharisees. And that's why the Christian world calls it the Jewish Sabbath. That's why they call it the Sabbath of Israel. Because they mistakenly think that the Sabbath of the rabbis is the Sabbath of the Lord. And they even say that Jesus broke the Sabbath. Jesus did not break the Bible Sabbath. Jesus broke the Sabbath of the Pharisees and of the scribes. So we see that the Lord Jesus did in redemption exactly what he did at creation. He worked for man's creation. He rested with man. And then man goes out on the first day to work. In the same way, Jesus worked man's redemption, says it is finished, rests, his followers rest with him, and the next day, it's off to work we go. So the Sabbath is a sign of creation and redemption. Now allow me to go for just a moment to a beautiful passage, and I'm not going to read the verses, but I just want to mention them to you. Exodus 16 talks about the experience of the manna, Many of you probably know about the manna when Israel was in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Of course, they couldn't plant anything out there in the wilderness. They were there for 40 years. The Lord, according to the Bible, rained manna from heaven. Amazing. God had a heavenly bakery to provide for all their needs by his grace because he loved them. And the Bible says that manna By the way, the word manna means, what is it? Because when they came out and they saw all this white stuff on the ground, they said, manna, manna, what is it? What is it? And so the Bible tells us in Exodus 16 that manna rained down from heaven six days a week. And on Friday, twice as much rain from heaven. You can read it there in Exodus 16. 
And Israel was supposed to pick up the manna every day, but on Friday they were supposed to pick up twice as much manna. Because they were supposed to save manna for the Sabbath. Because there would be no manna falling from heaven on the Sabbath. They were to rest. And why did God give all of this episode? Do you know that this is really a messianic prophecy, a prophecy about Jesus? You say, now how is that? Who is the manna according to Jesus himself? Go with me to John chapter 6. You see, the manna was a symbol. God is trying to teach us a great lesson. Chapter 6 of John and verse 41. Then the Jews murmured against him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Here Jesus is speaking. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. What did the manna represent? represented the flesh of Jesus. Now what would happen if the Israelites picked up manna on Wednesday and saved it for Thursday? Two things, according to Exodus 16. Number one, it bred worms. That's kind of strange. I mean, if you have bread in your house and it gets old, it doesn't breed worms, it breeds mold. But here it says, from one day to the next, the manna bred worms, and it what? Stank. Let me ask you, what is it that breeds worms and stinks? A dead body. But when they picked up manna on Friday and saved it for Sabbath, on Sabbath the manna was just as fresh as any other day. Now the manna represents what? The flesh of Jesus. What happened with the body of Jesus when he was in the sepulcher? The Bible says that it did not see corruption. Notice Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. We'll study this a little bit more uh, in detail a little bit later in our seminar. But notice what it says there. Peter is speaking. He's using a prophecy from Psalm 16 and verse 10. Because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to what? To see corruption. And he was speaking about whom? Jesus. Why didn't Jesus breed worms and stink on the Sabbath? Because he was the living manna. So already, in the episode of the manna, God was teaching that Jesus was going to die on Friday. He was going to rest in the tomb on the Sabbath, and his body would not see corruption, which means that he would have to resurrect when? The first day of the week. Now, I find it interesting. Some Christians say, well, pastor, how do you know that the Sabbath today is the same Sabbath? Well, I could ask you, how do you know that Sunday today is the same Sunday? The fact is, all Christians agree that the Sabbath today is the same Sabbath of the days of Jesus. 
which would mean that Sunday is the same Sunday of the days of Jesus. There's no controversy, but you say, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. What about before Christ, all the way back to creation? How do we know that the same Sabbath today is the Sabbath that goes all the way back to creation, that the seventh day today is the same seventh day as creation? Actually, it's not very complicated to figure out. Christians agree that the same Sabbath today is the Sabbath of the days of Christ. They agree with that much. Because they say that we're supposed to keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if Sunday is the same Sunday, Sabbath is the same Sabbath. But you say, what about before that? Listen, folks, if the Sabbath today is the same as in the days of Christ, did Jesus keep the same Sabbath we keep today? Would he have kept the same Sabbath we keep today if it wasn't the same Sabbath of creation? No, because he made it. Are you following my point? Basically what I'm saying is that Jesus kept the same Sabbath that we have today, which is the seventh day, and that means that he knew as a creator that that was the same Sabbath that went back to creation, or else he would have been keeping the wrong day. And the creator would not have done that. And there are some countries in Europe particularly who make Monday or they make uh, the first day of the week, instead of Sunday, they make Monday the first day of the week. And that would mean that Sunday is what? The seventh day. Oh, sounds beautiful, but it doesn't work according to the Bible. Go with me quickly to the Gospel of Luke. Let's notice the sequence of days. Luke chapter 23. What day did Jesus die? What day did he die? Good Friday. You know, I find it very interesting that Christians who celebrate Holy Week, they speak about Good Friday. They speak about Palm Sunday. Somehow the Sabbath gets lost in there, doesn't it? And among Hispanics, well, you know, the whole week is Holy. Jueves Santo, Viernes Santo, Domingo de Resurrección, Resurrection Sunday. But the Sabbath somehow gets no mention in the celebration of Holy Week. Interesting that it would be ignored by the Christian world. Luke chapter 20, 23 and verse 54. That day was the preparation. Speaking about the day that Jesus died. And the Sabbath drew near. Was it Sabbath yet when Jesus died? No, the Sabbath was coming. Verse 55. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Did the death of Jesus do away with the fourth commandment? If, they, if it did, why are they resting? Jesus died on Friday, right? He rested in the tomb on Sabbath. Yes? Which day did he resurrect? Verse 1 of chapter 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And then it says that Jesus had already what? Had already resurrected. Which day of the week did Jesus resurrect? The first day. And what day is that? It's the day after the Sabbath. So is Sunday the seventh day? Sunday is the first day. Not the seventh day. Somebody might say, Ah, oh, Pastor, don't be picky. Day's a day, who cares? Let me ask you, gentlemen, what would happen if you decided to celebrate your anniversary a different day than it was? Unless you have an understanding wife, you would be skinned. If your birthday is on June 26, 
You say, ah, I'm tired of selling, celebrating uh, June 26th. I think I'll do it July 26th this evening. Let's celebrate the independence of the United States on July 20. Why can't you? Because dates are rooted in history. And dates that are rooted in history cannot be changed. You know, the Sabbath, according to Exodus 31, is a sign between God and his people. A sign of creation, a sign of redemption. Before we go to the last aspect of what it is a sign of, let me ask you this. Some of you watch the Olympics at all? You know, I was really amazed. I watched for a few moments this uh, American girl who won the, uh, the diving contest. Oh, man, when she was standing on that, uh, you know, on the, the place where they received their medal and they were playing the Star-Spangled Banner and the flag of the United States was going up, she was just crying, bawling her head off. I couldn't hold a tear back myself. Now, supposing that she had gotten up on the stand and suddenly before up goes the flag of Cuba and the national anthem of Cuba, how do you suppose she would have felt? Wait a minute now. What's going on here? She wouldn't have gotten as excited. Well, supposing she'd gotten up there, I have a good Colombian friend here, Dr. Solarte, and suddenly, you know, this American girl is there. Suddenly the Colombian flag is going up and you hear, wait a minute. You get all disturbed. They say, why are you disturbed? Who cares? The flag is just a piece of cloth. The national anthem, who cares? Doesn't make any difference. Does it make a difference? Yes, because the national anthem and the flag represent the nation for which they stand. The Sabbath is God's national anthem, God's flag that distinguishes his people because he is the creator and because he is the redeemer. But there's one final dimension that I want to deal with. Do you know that the Sabbath is also a sign of the final restoration in the new earth? Go with me quickly to the book of Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 and let's read, starting at verse 22. Isaiah 66 and verse 22. And incidentally, let me say something to you which is really exciting. When God created originally, man did not see God create anything. But you know that when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to be able to sit down and watch him do it? Because we will be alive. That is an awesome thought. And do you know God is going to use seven days again to recreate the heavens and the earth? You say, how do we know that? Well, let's read it. Isaiah 66 and verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, new moon in the Old Testament means month, because the Jewish month was measured by between one new moon and another. So from month to month. Why from month to month? Oh, because we have something to do every month. There's a tree that produces a different fruit every month. So we have to go eat of the fruit every month. Somebody said, how is there going to be enough fruit? I don't know. It must be a big tree. 
It must grow a fruit, and when somebody picks it, another one grows right away. I don't know. The Bible says it. I believe it. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another. Is there going to be a weekly cycle in the new earth? How can you have a Sabbath if you don't have a week? So we're not only going to see the recreation of the world, we're going to be able to see God say, Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be the firmament. And there was the firmament. We're going to be able to see it with our own eyes. And God is going to restore the seven-day cycle. Somebody says, yeah, but the Bible says that there's no need for sun or moon. Yes, but it says in the city. There's no need of sun or moon. In the city. We have to be careful about how we read. So it says from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Folks, then the Sabbath will become a sign of the final restoration. Three reasons to keep the Sabbath according to Jesus. One, because Jesus created us and he invited us to rest in what he did. Two, because Jesus worked out our salvation and he asked us to come and rest with him in what he has done. And three, because after he has restored this world and he has taken us all to his everlasting kingdom, we will praise him for being the great restorer so that we can live with him throughout eternity. I love the Sabbath because it's a day of fellowship with my beloved Jesus. The day when I can take off to unwind and dedicate all of my thoughts and all my efforts to my dear Jesus. It's a day of fellowship with him and I just love coming to church and love fellowshipping with the brethren and love everything to be spiritual. You see, most Christians, they say they keep Sunday, but actually they go to church on Sunday. The Bible says that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath from sundown to sundown. 24 hours. All for Jesus. You say, what? 24 hours? That's a lot. Like people say, 10% my tithe? Oh, the Lord sure asked for so much. Listen, when you think that it's a time of fellowship with Jesus, the time will go by very fast. Because what the, that's what the Sabbath is all about. Remembering. Jesus. Now perhaps many of you here tonight have never heard this truth about the Sabbath. You didn't realize that the Bible teaches so clearly in the Gospels, particularly that Sabbath is the day that Jesus created and that Jesus rested from the works of redemption and is the day we're going to keep in the everlasting kingdom in honor of his restoration. I would like to invite you to make your decision tonight to keep God's holy Sabbath. We thank you because you're such a wonderful God. You give us everything as a gift. You created us. You redeemed us. And you are going to restore us in the kingdom come. What a wonderful God you are. We didn't earn it. We earned death. But you give us life. What a wonderful God you are. I ask, Lord, that you will bless every person gathered here tonight. Particularly those individuals who have not been keeping your holy Sabbath. I ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit you will impress their minds as to the importance of keeping this commandment because they love Jesus. That they might experience the rest that comes when we take this whole day to spend it in loving fellowship with Jesus and with fellow believers. 
thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer and for answering in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.